Hello and welcome to Sleep Cove, the place to come for a great night's sleep. Tonight is the continuation of Norse myths. I'll be reading out more of the book called The Children of Odin by Patrick Connor, a continuation of part one. And let's begin. Sif's golden hair. How Loki wrought mischief in Asgard. All who dwelt in Asgard, the Aesir and the Alsinir, were the gods and the goddesses, and the Vanir, who were the friends of the gods and the goddesses, were wroth with Loki. It was no wonder they were wroth with him, for he had let the giant Thiassi carry off Iduna and her golden apples. Still, it must be told that the show they made of their wrath made Loki ready to do more mischief in Asgard. One day he saw a chance to do mischief that made his heart rejoice. Sif, the wife of Thor, was lying asleep outside her house. Her beautiful golden hair flowed all around her. Loki knew how much Thor loved that shiny hair, and how greatly Sif prized it because of Thor's love. Here was his chance to do great mischief. Smilingly he took out his shears, and he cut off the shining hair. Every strand and every dress. She did not waken from her treasure being taken from her, but Loki left Sif's head cropped and bare. Thor was away from Asgard, coming back to the city of the gods. He went into his house. Sif, his wife, was not there to welcome him. He called to Sif but no glad answer came from her. To the palaces of all the gods and goddesses Thor went, but in none of them did he find Sif, his golden-haired wife. When he came back to his house, he heard his name whispered. He stopped and then a figure stole out from behind a stone. A veil covered her head, and Thor scarce knew that this was Sif his wife. As he went to her, she sobbed and sobbed. O Thor, my husband, she said, do not look upon me. I am ashamed that you should see me. I shall go from Asgard and from your company of the gods and goddesses. I shall go down to Svartalheim and live amongst the dwarves. I cannot bear that any of the dwellers in Asgard should look upon me now. O Sif, cried Thor, what has happened to change you? I have lost the hair on my head, said Sif. I have lost the beautiful golden hair that you, Thor, loved. You will not love me anymore, so I must go away down to Svartalheim and to the company of the dwarves. They are as ugly as I am now. Then she took the veil off her head, and Thor saw that all her beautiful hair was gone. She stood before him, shamed and sorrowful, and he grew into a mighty rage. Who did this to you, Sif? He said, I am Thor, the strongest of all the dwellers in Asgard, and I shall see to it that all the powers the gods possess will be used to get your fairness back. Come with me, Sif. And taking his wife's hand in his, Thor went off to the council house where the gods and the goddesses were. Sif covered her head with her veil, for she would not have the gods and the goddesses 
look upon her shorn head, but from the anger in Thor's eyes, all saw that the wrong done to Sif was great indeed. Then Thor told of the cutting of her beautiful hair. A whisper went round the council house. It was Loki did this, no one else in Asgard would have done a deed so shameful, one said to the other. Loki it was who did this, said Thor, he was hidden himself, but I shall find him and I will slay him. Nay, not so Thor, said Odin the father of the gods, nay, no dweller in Asgard may slay another, I shall summon Loki to come before us here, it is for you to make him, and remember that Loki is cunning and able to do many things, now bring back to Sif the beauty of her golden hair, and the call of Odin, the call that all in Asgard have to hearken to, went through the city of the gods, Loki heard it, and he had to come from his hiding place, and enter the house where the gods held their council, and when he looked on Thor, and saw the rage that was in his eyes, and when he looked on Odin, and saw the sternness in the face of the father of the gods, he knew that he would have to make amends, for the shameful wrong he had done to Sif, Odin said, there is a thing for you to do Loki, have to do, restore to Sif the beauty of her hair, Loki looked at Odin, Loki looked at Thor, and he saw that what was said would have to be done, his quick mind searched to find a way of restoring to Sif the beauty of her golden hair, I shall do as you command, Odin Allfather, he said, but before we tell you of what Loki did to restore the beauty of Sif's golden hair, we must tell you of the other things beside the gods and goddesses who were in the world at the time, first there was the Vanir, when the gods who were called the Isaiah came to the mountain on which they were built, they found other beings there, these were not wicked and ugly like the giants, they were beautiful and friendly, the veneer they were named, although they were beautiful and friendly, the veneer had no thought of making the world more beautiful or more happy, in that way they differed from the Isaiah, who had such a thought, the Isaiah made peace with them, and they lived together in friendship, and the veneer would come to do things that helped the Isaiah, to make the world more beautiful and more happy, Freya, whom the giant wanted to take away with the sun and the moon, as a reward for building of the wall around Asgard, was of the Vanir, the other beings of the Vanir were Frey, who was the brother of Freya, and Niord, who was their father, on the earth below there were other beings, the dainty elves who danced and fluttered about, attending to the trees and flowers and grasses, the Vanir were permitted to rule over the elves, then below the earth, in caves and hollows, there was another race, the dwarfs or gnomes, little twisted creatures who were both wicked and ugly, but who were the best craftsmen in the world, in the days when neither the Isaiah nor the Vanir were friendly to him, Loki used to go down to Svartalhelm, the dwarfs dwelling below the earth, and now that he was commanded to restore to Sif the beauty of her hair, 
Loki thought of help he might get from the dwarves. Down, down, through the winding passages in the earth he went, and he came at last to where the dwarves, who were most friendly to him, were working in their forges. All the dwarves were master smiths, and when he came upon his friends, he found them working hammer and tongs, beating metals into many shapes. He watched them for a while and took note of the things they were making. One was a spear, so well balanced and made, it could hit whatever mark it was thrown at, no matter how bad the aim the thrower had. The other was a boat that could sail on any sea, but that could be folded up so that it would go into one's pocket. The spear was called Gungnir, and the boat was called Skidbladnir. Loki made himself very agreeable to the dwarves, praising their work and promising them things that only the dwellers in Asgard could give, things that the dwarves longed to possess. He talked to them till the little ugly folk thought that they would come to own Asgard and all that was in it. At last Loki said to them, have you got a bar of fine gold that you can hammer into threads? into threads so fine that they will be like the hair of Sif, Thor's wife. Only the dwarves could make a thing so wonderful. Ah, there is the bar of gold. Hammer it into those fine threads, and the gods themselves will be jealous of your work. Flattered by Loki's speeches, the dwarves who were in the forge took up the bar of fine gold and flung it into the fire, then taking it out and putting it upon their anvil, they worked on the bar with their tiny hammers, until they beat it into threads that were as fine as the hairs of one's head, but that was not enough, they had to be as fine as the hair on Sif's head, and these were finer than anything else. They worked on the threads over and over again, until they were as fine as the hairs on Sif's head. The threads were as bright as sunlight, and when Loki took up the mass of worked gold, it flowed from his raised hand down on the ground. It was so fine that he could put it into his palm, and it was so light that a bird might not feel its weight. Then Loki praised the dwarves more and more, and he made more and more promises to them. He charmed them all, although they were an unfriendly and suspicious folk, and before he left them, he asked for the spear and the boat he had seen them make, the spear of Gungnir and the boat of Skidbladnir. The dwarves gave him these things, though in a while after they wondered at themselves for giving them. Back in Asgard, Loki went. He walked into the council house where the dwellers in Asgard were gathered. He met the stern look in Oda's eyes, and the rageful look in Thor's eyes, with smiling good humour. Off with thy veil, O Sif, he said, and when poor Sif took off her veil, he put upon her shorn head the wonderful mass of gold he held in his palm. Over his shoulders the gold fell, fine, soft, and shining as her own hair, and the Aesir, and the Ozinir, the gods and the goddesses, and the Van and Vana. When they saw Sif's head covered again, 
with the shining web, laughed and clapped their hands in gladness, and the shining web held the Sif's head as if indeed it had roots and was growing there. How Brock brought judgment on Loki. It was then that Loki, with a wish of making the Aesir and the Vanir friendly to him once more, brought out the wonderful things he had gained from the dwarves. The spear Gunganir and the boat Skidbladnir, the Aesir and the Vanir marvelled at things so wonderful. Loki gave the spear as a gift to Odin, and to Frey who was the chief of the Vanir, he gave the boat Skidbladnir. All Asgard rejoiced that things so wonderful and so helpful had been brought to them, and Loki who had made a great show in giving these gifts, said boastingly, none but the dwarves who work for me could make such things, there are dwarves but they are as unhandy as they are misshapen, the dwarves who are my servants are the only ones who can make such wonders. Now Loki in his boastfulness had said a foolish thing, there were other dwarves besides those who had worked for him, and one of these was there in Asgard, all unknown to Loki he stood in the shadow of Odin's seat, listening to what was being said, now he went over to Loki, his little unshapely form trembling with rage, Brock, the most spiteful of the dwarves. Hey, Loki, you boaster, he roared. You lie in your words. Sindri, my brother, would scorn to serve you, is the best smith in Svartalfheim. The Ezir and the Vanir laughed to see Loki outfaced by Brock the dwarf in the middle of his boastfulness. As they laughed, Loki grew angry, be silent dwarf, he said, your brother will know about smith's work when he goes to the dwarves who are my friends and learns something from them, he learnt from the dwarves who are your friends, my brother Sindri learnt from the dwarves who are your friends, Brock roared in a greater rage than before, the things you have brought out of Svartalfheim would not be noticed by the Izir and the Vanir if they were put beside the things that my brother Sindri can make. Sometime we will try your brother Sindri and see what he can do, said Loki. Try now, try now, Brock shouted. I'll wager my head against yours, Loki that his work will make the dwellers in Asgard laugh at your boasting. I will take your wager, said Loki, my head against yours, and glad will I be to see that ugly head of yours off your misshapen shoulders. The Azir will judge whether my brother's work is not the best that ever came out of Svartalfheim, and they will see to it that you will pay your wager, Loki, the head off your shoulders, will ye not sit in judgment, O dwellers in Asgard? We will sit in judgment, said the Azir. then still full of rage, Brock the dwarf went down to Svartalfheim, and to the place where his brother Sindri worked, there was Sindri in his glowing forge, working with the bellows and anvil and hammers beside him, and around him masses of metal, gold and silver, copper and iron. Brock told his tale, how he had wagered his head against Loki's, that Sindri could make things more wonderful than the spear and the boat that Loki had brought into Asgard. 
You are right in what you did, my brother, said Sindri, and you shall not lose your head to Loki, but the two of us must work at what I am going to forge. It will be your work to keep the fire so that it will neither blaze nor die down for a single instant. If you can keep the fire as I tell you, we will forge a wonder. Now brother, keep your hands upon the bellows and keep the fire under your control. Then into the fire, Sindri threw not a piece of metal, but a pigskin. Brock kept his hands on the bellows, working it so that the fire neither died down nor blazed up for a single instant, and in the glowing fire the pigskin swelled itself into a strange shape, but Brock was not left to work the bellows in peace, into the forge flew a gadfly, it lighted on Brock's hands and stung them, the dwarf screamed with pain, but his hands still held the bellows, working it to keep the fire steady, for he knew that the gadfly was Loki, and that Loki was striving to spoil Sindri's work, again the gadfly stung his hands, but Brock, although his hands felt as if they were pierced with hot irons, still worked the bellows, so that the fire did not blaze up or die down for a single instant. Sindri came and looked into the fire. Over the shape that was rising there, he said words of magic. The gadfly had flown away, and Sindri bade his brother cease working. He took out the thing that had been shaped in the fire, and he worked over it with his hammer. It was a wonder indeed, a ball all golden that could fly through the air, and that shed light from its bristles as it flew. Brock forgot the pain in his hands, and screamed with joy. This is the greatest of wonders, he said, the dwellers in Asgard will have to give the judgement against Loki, I shall have a Loki's head, but Sindri said, the ball golden bristle may not be judged as great a wonder as the spear Gungnir or the boat Skidbladnir, we must make something more wonderful still, Work the bellows as before, brother, and do not let the fire die down, or blaze up for a single instant. Then Sindri took up a piece of gold that was so bright it lightened up the dark cavern that the dwarves worked in. He threw the piece of gold into the fire, then he went to make ready something else, and left to work the bellows. The gadfly flew in again, Brock did not know it was there until it alighted on the back of his neck, it stung him till Brock felt the pain was wrenching him apart, but he still kept his hands on the bellows, working it so that the fire neither blazed up nor died down for a single instant. When Sindri came to look into the fire, Rock was not able to speak for pain. Again Sindri said magic words over the gold that was being smelted in the fire. He took it out of the glow and worked it over in the main anvil. Then in a while, he showed Brock something that looked like the circle of their sun. A splendid arm ring, my brother, he said, an arm ring for a god's right arm, and this ring has hidden wonders. Every ninth night, eight rings like itself will drop from this arm ring. 
for this is Draipnir, the ring of increase. To Odin, the father of the gods, the ring shall be given, said Brock, and Odin will have to declare that nothing so wonderful or so profitable to the gods was ever brought into Asgard. O Loki, cunning Loki, I shall have thy head in spite of thy tricks. Be not too hasty, brother, said Sindri. What we have done so far is good, but better still must be the thing that will make the dwellers in Asgard give the judgment that delivers Loki's head to thee. Work as before, brother, and do not let the fire blaze up or die down for a single instant. This time Sindri threw into the fire a bar of iron, then he went away to fetch the hammer that would shape it. Brock worked the bellows as before, but only his hands were steady, for every other part of him was trembling with expectation of the gadfly's sting. He saw the gadfly dart into the forge. He screamed as it flew round and round him, searching out a place where it might sting him most fearfully. It lighted down on his forehead, just between his eyes. The first sting it gave took the sight from his eyes. It stung again and Brock felt the blood flowing down. Darkness filled the cave. Brock tried to keep his hand steady on the bellows, but he did not know whether the fire was blazing up or dying down. He shouted and Sindri hurried up. Sindri said the magic words over the thing that was in the fire. Then he drew it out. An instant more, he said, and the work would have been perfect, but because you let the fire die down for an instant, the work is not as good as it might have been made. He took what was shaped in the fire to the main anvil and worked over it. Then when Brock's eyesight came back to him, he saw a great hammer, a hammer all of iron. The handle did not seem to be long enough to balance the head. This was because the fire had died down for an instant while it was being formed. The hammer is Mjolnir, said Sindri, and it is the greatest of the things I am able to make. All in Asgard must rejoice to see this hammer. Thor only will be able to wield it. Now I am not afraid of the judgment and the dwellers in Asgard will give. The dwellers in Asgard will have to give judgment for us, Brock cried out. They will have to give judgment for us, and the head of Loki, my tormentor, will be given me. No more wonderful or profitable gifts than these have ever been brought into Asgard, Sindri said. Thy head is saved and thou wilt be able to take the head of Loki, who was insolent to us. Bring it here, and we will throw it into the fire in the forge. The Isaiah and the Vanir were seated in the council house of Asgard, when a train of dwarfs appeared before them. Brock came at the head of the train, and he was followed by a band of dwarfs, carrying things of great weight. Brock and his attendants stood round the throne of Odin and hearkened to the words of the father of the gods. We know why you have come into Asgard from out of Slartalfheim, Odin said. You have brought things wonderful and profitable to the dwellers in Asgard. Let what you have brought be seen, Brock. If they are more wonderful and more useful 
and the things Loki had brought out of Svartalfheim, the spear of Gungnir and the boat Skladbladnir, we will give judgment for you. Then Brock commanded the dwarves who waited on him to show the dwellers in Asgard the first of the wonders that Sindri had made. They brought out the ball, golden bristle. Round and round the council house the ball flew, leaving a track of brightness. The dwellers in Asgard said one to the other that this was a wonder indeed, but none would say that the ball was a better thing to have in Asgard than the spear that would hit the mark no matter how badly it was flung, or the boat skid Baladnir that would sail on any sea, and that could be folded up so small that it could fit into anyone's pocket. None would say that Golden Bristle was better than these wonders. To Frey, who was the chief of the Vanir, Brock gave the wondrous ball. Then the attending dwarfs showed the arm ring that was as bright as the circle of the sun. All admired the noble ring, and when it was told how every ninth night this ring dropped eight rings of gold that were like itself, the dwellers in Asgard spoke aloud, all saying that Drabinir, the ring of Ygrese, was a wonder indeed. Hearing their voices raised, Brock looked triumphantly at Loki, who was standing there with his lips drawn closely together. To Odin, the father of the gods, Brock gave the noble armband. Then he commanded the attending dwarves to lay before Thor the hammer Milnir. Thor took the hammer up and swung it around his head. As he did so, he uttered a great cry, and the eyes of the dwellers in Asgard lightened up when they saw Thor with the hammer Milnir in his hands. Their eyes lightened up, and from their lips came the cry, This is a wonder, a wonder indeed. With this hammer in his hand, none can withstand Thor, our champion. No greater thing has ever come into Asgard than the hammer Milnir. Then Odin, the father of the gods, spoke from his throne giving judgment. The hammer Milnir that the dwarf Brock has brought into Asgard is a thing wonderful indeed and profitable to the gods. In Thor's hands it can crush mountains and hurl the giant race from the ramparts of Asgard. Sindri the dwarf has forged a greater thing than the spear Gungnir and the boat Skidvladnir. There can be no other judgment. Brock looked at Loki, showing his gnarled teeth. Now, Loki, yield your head, yield your head, he cried. Do not ask such a thing, said Odin. Put any other penalty on Loki for mocking you and tormenting you. Make him yield to you the greatest thing that it is in his power to give. Not so, not so, screamed Brock. You dwellers in Asgard would shield one another, but what of me? Loki would have taken my head had I lost the wager. Loki has lost his head to me. Let him kneel down now till I cut it off. Loki came forward, smiling with closed lips. I kneel before you, dwarf, he said. Take off my head, but be careful, do not touch my neck. I did not bargain that you should touch my neck. If you do, 
I shall call upon the dwellers in Asgard to punish you. Brock drew back with a snarl. Is this the judgment of the gods? he asked. The bargain you made, Brock, said Odin, was an evil one, and all its evil consequences you must bear. Brock, in a rage, looked upon Loki, and he saw that his lips were smiling. He stamped his feet and raged. Then he went up to Loki and said, I may not take your head, but I can do something with your lips that mock me. What would you do, dwarf? asked Thor. Sew Loki's lips together, said Brock, so that he can do no mischief with his talk. You dwellers in Asgard cannot forbid me to do this. Down, Loki, on your knees, before me. Loki looked round on the dwellers in Asgard, and he saw that their judgment was that he must kneel before the dwarf. He knelt down with a frown upon his brow. Draw your lips together, Loki, said Brock. Loki drew his lips together while his eyes flashed fire. Within all that he took from his belt, Brock pierced Loki's lips. He took out a thong and tightened them together. Then in triumph the dwarf looked on Loki. O Loki, he said, you boasted that the dwarves who worked for you were better craftsmen than Sindri, my brother. Your words have been shown to be lies, and now you cannot boast for a while. Then Brock the dwarf, with great majesty, walked out of the council house of Asgard, and the attending dwarves marched behind him in procession. Down the passages in earth the dwarfs went, singing the song of Brock's triumph over Loki, and in Svartalfheim it was told forever, after how Sindri and Brock had prevailed. In Asgard, now that Loki's lips were closed, there was peace and respite from mischief. No one amongst the Azir or the Vanir were sorry that Loki had to walk about in silence with his head bent low. How Freya gained her necklace and how her loved one was lost to her. Yes, Loki went through Asgard silent and with head bent, and the dwellers in Asgard said one until the other, This will teach Loki to work no more mischief. They did not want to know that what Loki had done had sown the seeds of mischief, and that these seeds were to sprout up and bring sorrow to the beautiful Vanir Freya, to Freya whom the giant wanted to carry off with the sun and moon as payment for building the wall around Asgard. Freya had looked upon the wonders that Loki had brought into Asgard, the golden threads that were Sif's hair, and Frey's boar that shed light from its bristles as it flew. The gleam of these golden things dazzled her, and made her dream in the daytime and in the night time of the wonders that she saw herself might possess, and often she thought, what wonderful things the three giant women would give me if I could bring myself to go to them on their mountaintop. Long ere this, when the wall around the city was not yet built, and when the gods had set up only the court with their twelve seats, and the hall that was for Odin, and the hall that was for the goddesses, there had come into Asgard 
three giant women. They came after the gods had set a forge and had begun to work metal for their buildings. The metal they worked was pure gold. With gold they built Gladsheim, the Hall of Odin, and with gold they made all their dishes and household ware. Then was the age of gold, and the gods did not grudge gold to anyone. Happy were the gods then, and no shadow nor foreboding lay on Asgard. But after the three giant women came, the gods began to value gold and not to hoard it. They played with it no more, and the happy innocence of their first days departed from them. At last the three were banished from Asgard. The gods turned their thoughts from hoarding of gold and they built up their city, and they made themselves strong. And now Freya, the lovely Venia bride, thought upon the giant women on the wonderful things of gold they had flashed through their hands. But not to Oda, her husband. She did not speak her thoughts to him, for Oda more than any of the other dwellers in Asgard, was wont to think of the days of happy innocence before gold came to be hoarded and valued. Odir would not have Freya go near the mountaintop where the three had their high seat. But Freya did not cease to think upon them and upon the things of gold they had. Why should Oda know I want to them? She said to herself. No one will tell them, and what difference would it make if I go to them and gain some lovely thing for myself? I shall not love Oda the less, because I go on my own way for once. Then one day she left that palace, leaving Oda, her husband, playing with that little child, Hanessa. She left the palace and went down to the earth. There she stayed for a while, tending the flowers that were her charge. After a while, she asked the elves to tell her where the mountain was on which the three giant women stayed. The elves were frightened and would not tell her although she was queen over them. She left them and stole down into the caves of the dwarves. It was they who showed her the way to the seat of the giant women. But before they showed her the way, they made her feel shame and misery. We will show you the way, if you stay with us here, said one of the dwarves. For how long will you have me stay? said Freya. Until the cocks crow in Svartalfheim, said the dwarfs, closing round her. We want to know what the company of one of the veneer is like. I will stay, Freya said. Then one of the dwarfs reached up and put his arm round her neck and kissed her with his ugly mouth. Freya broke away from him, and said, What are you doing? But the dwarves laughed and said, You have to stay with us, before the cocks of Svartalfheim crow. Freya then distanced herself from the dwarves, even though they teased her through the night, until the cocks of Svartalfheim crew. The next day, they showed her the mountain on the top of which the three banished from Asgard had their abode. The giant women sat overlooking the world of men. What would you have from us, wife of Odir, one who was called 
skull Vig said to her. Alas, now that I have found you, I know that I shall ask you for naught, Freya said. Speak, Varna, said the second of the giant women. The third said nothing, but she held up in her hands a necklace of gold most curiously fashioned. How bright it is, Freya said. There is shadow where you sit, women, but the necklace you hold makes brightness now. Oh, how I shall have joy to wear it. It is the necklace, Brisingenamen, said the one who was called Gelvig. It is yours to wear, wife of Oda, said the one who held it in her hands. Freya took the shining necklace and clasped it round her throat. She could not bring herself to thank the giant women, for she saw that there was evil in their eyes. She made reverence to them, however, as she went from the mountain on which they sat overlooking the world of men. In a while, she looked down and saw the necklace, and her misery went from her. It was the most beautiful thing ever made by hands. None as the Asnir and none of the Vanir possessed a thing so beautiful. It made her more and more lovely, and Odir, she thought, would forgive her when he saw how beautiful and how happy the necklace made her. She rose up from amongst the flowers and took leave of the slight elves as she made her way to Asgard. All who greeted her looked long and with wonder upon the necklace that she wore, and into the eyes of the goddesses there came a look of longing when they saw Rizingamen. But Freya hardly stopped to speak to anyone. As swiftly as she could make her way to her own palace, she would show herself to Oda and win his forgiveness. She entered her shining palace and called to him. No answer came. Her child little Hanessa was on the floor playing. Her mother took her in her arms, but the child, when she looked at the necklace, turned away crying. Freya left Hanessa down and searched for Odin. He was not in any part of that palace. She went into the houses of all who dwelt in Asgard, asking for tidings of him. None knew where he had gone to. At last Freya went back to the palace and waited and waited for Oda to return, but Oda did not come. One came to her. It was a goddess, Odin's wife, McQueenly Frigga. You are waiting for Oda, your husband, Frigga said. Oh, let me tell you, Oda will not come to you here. He went when for the sake of a shining thing you did what would make him unhappy. Odair has gone from Asgard and no one knows where to search for him. I will seek him outside of Asgard, Freya said. She wept no more but she took their little child Hanessa and put her in Frigga's arms. Then she mounted her car that was drawn by two cats and journeyed down from Asgard to Midgard, the earth, to search for Odin, her husband. Year in and year out and all over the earth, Freya went searching and calling for the lost Odin. She went as far as the bounds of the earth, where she could look over to Jotunheim, where dwelt the giant who would have carried her off with the sun and the moon as payment for building of the wall around Asgard. But in no place from the end of the rainbow bifrost 
that stretched from Asgard to the earth, to the boundary of Jotunheim, did she find a trace of her husband Odur. At last she turned her car towards Bifrost, the rainbow bridge that stretched from Midgard, the earth, to Asgard, the dwelling of the gods. Heimdall, the watcher of the gods, guarded the rainbow bridge. To him Freya went with half a hope fluttering in her heart. O Heimdall, she cried, O Heimdall, watcher for the gods, speak and tell me if you know where Odur is. Odur is in every place where the searcher has not come. Odur is in every place that the searcher has left. Those who seek him will never find Odur, said Heimdall, the watcher for the gods. Then Freya stood on my thrust and wept. Frigga, the queenly goddess, heard the sound of her weeping and came out of Asgard to comfort her. Oh, what comfort can you give me, Frigga? cried Freya. What comfort can you give me when Odur will never be found by one who searches for him? Behold how your daughter, the child Hanessa, has grown, said Frigga. Freya looked up and saw a beautiful maiden standing on the bifrost of the rainbow bridge. She was young, more youthful than any other veneer or their as near, and her face and her form were so lovely that all hearts became melted when they looked upon her. And Freya was comforted in her loss. She followed Frigga across Bifrost or the Rainbow Bridge and came once again into the city of the gods. In her own palace in Asgard, Freya dwelt with Hanessa, her child. Still she wore around her neck the necklace that lost her odor, but now she wore it, not for its splendor, but as a sign of the wrong she had done. She weeps, and her tears become golden drops as they fall on the earth, and by poets who know her story, she is called the beautiful lady in tears.